Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Will and I'm here with my two friends Ant and Anna. Um, hello. <laughs> Those are still our names. <laughs> okay, good. Just checking. This week we are talking about the year 1902 and I'd like all of us to give a three-word preview, please, of what we're discussing today. Anna. My three words are South Polar Time. Yeah. Okay. What are that's about? Uh, mine. <laughs> it's about the Sahara Desert, actually. <laughs> My three words are friendly society assassin. Oh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. A friendly, friendly society assassin. Yeah, it, exactly that. Okay. And mine are carriage and wagon. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second because I thought like, the and is part of this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Three words. Good. <laughs> Great. Cool. Okay. Right. Here we go. 1902. Okay, so this week I'm making a conscious effort to branch out and I'm going to try not to talk about any kings or any battles whatsoever, mm-hmm. which frankly doesn't feel like, like history at all yeah. to me. <laughs> well, were there, any, were there any kings in 1902 in the world? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could do a last minute switch. <laughs> That's so tempting. Okay, well, okay, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so frankly, it doesn't feel like history, but this week I'm going to talk about two cultural phenomena. Mm. Football and Manchester United, specifically, <laughs> okay. which is a subset of football, okay. I suppose. Now, football, sorry, maybe you're going to clarify. You mean mm. the kind you do with your legs and kicky kick Oh, what ball. Americans might call soccer ball. Soccer That's correct. Yeah. So okay. for the avoidance of doubt, I'm talking about soccer okay. yeah. rather than Aussie rules or rugby football or American football yes. or any other okay. kind of fun. Great. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm talking about Manchester United because it was kind of founded in 1902 mm-hmm. sort of good enough for the podcast 
which I think in the in the legal sense as well, come on to turns out not to be in fact true. Oh, but, great. Uh, <laughs> There's more legal drama on our doorstep. <laughs> Will and his legalese. Yeah. Uh, but but from a, from a branding perspective, it's when Manchester okay. United uh, came about. So first of all, I will talk a little bit about the history of football because uh, we need to talk about that first before yeah. we talk on to, we talk about Manchester United. And I think really this is about how football became a thing uh, of, and a part of that was Manchester United getting founded as much as it is about specifically about Manchester United. So there, there's, a, there's a reason um, it was founded at that particular time, so then it's worth discussing. Now, it's not too late for you to change your mind and talk about a king or a yeah, battle. Yeah. Because we're going to lose a lot of people with this whole football chat, me included. <laughs> no, it's really interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, what's what's interesting is kind of how a, uh, a cultural phenomena, whether you're interested in football as a sport or not, how these things come into being and the times in history at which they become possible yeah. and how they become... Okay. Uh, really, a concept that so like a confluence sport. of events leading exactly. to exactly yes. Yeah. That's what I find interesting. Cultural. About it. Yeah, okay, like, it I happen sense. to be relatively into football, but I think it's interesting just in general about how, how it came about. So there's been some form of football for many, many hundreds of years uh, in Europe, and with different communities and local clubs would have their own sets of rules, and they would have a game that they could play that would involve kicking or throwing a ball around and scoring. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, yeah, kicking is a fundamental part of football, but just the, just the way you described it, a game that would involve kicking. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Carry on. As opposed to... I don't know. I don't know. I just... Um, it's great. Okay. So, <laughs> so they would they would kick. <laughs> oh my God. And or throw... You know, we were just talking about going to the BBC about this podcast recently, and, and uh, I don't think that's on the cards anymore. Nope. <laughs> this is high quality analysis. And so uh, it didn't really matter that all these rules were very different in different communities and different clubs because no one was ever playing each other at all. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't until the mid-19th century in the UK that people started getting annoyed that when they travelled to new areas, the people in those areas didn't seem to play their favourite game in the way they did. And can anyone guess why this is something that happened in the mid-19th century in England rather than anywhere else. Oh. Was this the founding of the foot? <laughs> Did the foot just evolve then? Was, was it... the weather so shit that you couldn't play anything that required you to like lift your head mm. up and look at the sky? <laughs> Invention of nets. Oh, yeah, good nets. People did spend a lot of time sullenly looking to the floor yeah. during yeah. this period. Yeah. Well, were, they, you know, until the foot came along and there's something to look at. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It exactly. were mesmerised by their newly evolved feet. <laughs> and they critically, they knew their place as well in those days, not like today. <laughs> Always looking up to the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Damn you, Elon Musk. So uh, the answer is the railway network which became uh, mature in England during this oh, early period. And it, just like many other things that the railway network did, it you know, unified people like never before, and it brought a need for things that were uh, pre like, like a precise and common time, for instance, so that previously didn't mm -hmm. need, need before, before you had... Uh, a need for railway timetables so that suddenly you needed to have very pre precise ways of telling time yeah, you yeah. need common times across different towns whereas before 
you know, if it was vaguely the same time in a place here as a place 200 miles away, that was good enough and it wasn't a problem. Yeah. yeah. And then similarly, you needed unity and unified mechanisms for doing all sorts of things because currently, currently you suddenly had all these people moving around the country really rapidly in a way they weren't before. And football was just one of these extra things. Uh, and it <laughs> meant that clubs for the first time could travel long distances to play each other in leagues. And that was suddenly something you could, you could afford to do. Uh, and so in common with that, uh, unified rules emerged over a few decades from the point at which you had a mature railway system and uh, soccer what would later become soccer uh, actual proper association football in the UK was adopted in the 1860s so Manchester United was actually founded not long after in 1878 as uh, Newton LYR Football Club Oh, now oh. can anyone guess what LYR stood for? LYR London Yarlborough Railway. London Yarlborough Railway. Yeah, I'm one guess. guess that's probably not right, but my guess is going to be no better. Is it's loud young ruffians? Loud young ruffians <laughs> <laughs> being the name of the people who play the football, play oh, the and football. support. I would say, yeah, mm. yeah, who dared to look up from the floor <laughs> yeah. from their feet. Look yonder, rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, famously, the first person ever to look up. <laughs> Mr. Manchester United, uh-huh. Mr. John Manchester United. Uh-huh. Uh, that was what he remarked. No, so the answer is that it was founded by the carriage and wagon mm, department. Okay. Oh, C A W of the Lancashire and Yorkshire Railway. Okay, I get partial credit for that because two places. Because I said railway. Okay, that is the most specific department in the most specific niche section of railway as well it's like not which even... department would you have preferred to have founded it <laughs> from the lancashire and yorkshire railway sports and recreation <laughs> yeah okay and the early years were just full of financial mismanagement Woo. uh it kept going bust and having to be saved by donations and in 1902 the year we're actually interested in ding 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 <laughs> after going bust again they reinvented the club with a new name and they considered a bunch of different names uh, can anyone think of any names they were going to think about? Manchester and then X. Manchester. I, Manchester, look yonder rainbow is <laughs> pretty look good. Yonder rainbow. Manchester ruffians. Manchester I'm ruffians. Th- Manchester disunited. Manchester disunited. <laughs> Disaggregated <was. laughs> Manchester, yeah. Uh, so the answers were Manchester Celtic and Manchester Central were the okay. other ones they considered. Uh, okay. and, then it, um, and then it obviously chose Manchester United and that's when that brand came around. And the uh, club did actually go bust again in the 30s and it was bailed out again. But basically from then on over time, it became more established as a business and became more financially stable. And now it is a $4 billion Four billion. Four billion dollar business, roughly, depending on what the markets would value it at. Uh, that disappoints fans every week. <laughs> <laughs> that is the history of Manchester United. That is um, incredible. I I didn't know is associated. That makes sense with the railways. Uh, it doesn't make sense with the four billion though. Is it well? Is <laughs> is it the most valuable club in the world, or has it been surpassed? I think it might be. I, th- I think maybe eight or nine years ago, it probably was. Yeah, it was by some distance, and yeah. now maybe not so much. Yeah, still. It's pretty good. Yeah. I'd just like to go on record and say that I am not a Manchester United fan. I don't know what colour their uniform is. I am not sure what shape the ball is that they kick. Or you don't, you don't even know what colour top hats they were. I don't have no clue what colour the top hat oh is. There are some God. real football basics you don't you know. Absolute Absolutely not. Pleb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking today about a boat or perhaps a ship. <laughs> <laughs> this is being a trend now. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're not going to we're not going to get into the weeds on that again. Uh, I'm talking about the voyage of the discovery, 
which uh, was a ship that went to the Antarctic. And I ha- really struggle saying the word Antarctic, which is um, unfortunate given how many times I'm about to say it. In the Around the turn of the century, so 1900, it is the early years of what's called the heroic age of Antarctic expedition. Uh, later, that would be the mechanical age once uh, technology improved. But for now, if you go to the Arctic or the Antarctic, it's kind of assumed that you are made of good, solid, tough yeah. stuff and you're putting your life on the Got line to do it. wax type oh, liniments. so much wax. Uh. So much like meat yeast paste. Oh yeah, they good meat yeast paste. That was the first stuff. question they were asked, wasn't it? When you were, were going to go and make the trip. <laughs> what paste you're going to Antarctic. That's so exciting. Wait, wait, wait. Have you got enough wax? To <laughs> no, but they did. They had a whole bunch of like ointments and tinctures and like Woolen Sorry, was that tinctures? Accoutrement, uh, tinctures. Tinctures, yeah. Tinctures, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And all kinds of woolen accoutrements. I had no idea yeah. you were such an expert. I re- do you know what? I, many a time I've eaten a yeast paste, <laughs> oh, dreaming God. wistfully of the Antarctic. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... <laughs> tinctures aside, um, 60 years prior to this, an earlier British expedition had mapped the general area of Antarctica. But after that, there wasn't much activity until closer to 1900 because people realized it would be really hard to extract resources out of it and the kind of competitive spirit hadn't sunk in. Um, but then it, it did. And, and all of a sudden, you know, these expeditions had many goals. There were a lot of scientists and naturalists on board of all of the expeditions that went, a, went to the Antarctic. But the overarching goal was always to be the first to reach the South Pole. It would be a tremendous amount of national pride. Um, and they subsequent expeditions go. And as the further south you go, you get to claim the title of furthest south until somebody makes it all the way down. Um, and Discovery was one of the ones that was aiming for this. So the Royal Geographic Society are a real driving force behind the expedition, especially a man named Sir Clements Markham. He started thinking about what the expedition would entail and who could sail on it. And he had observed a man, a midshipman, Robert Falcon Scott. What a name. Solid, solid I would name. follow that man to the Antarctic. <laughs> well, yeah. Liniments aside. Uh, <laughs> he had, so Clements Markham had seen Robert Falcon Scott 15 years earlier while can he I, was. Can I just, yeah? it's a bit of a cheat code, isn't it? Mm. Just inserting a bird of prey <laughs> in your name. Yeah. Well, it would, yeah, it would have been, it would have been way less interesting if it were like, Robert Grouse Scott. That's true. Yeah. Or, or Robert, that's, right. that's a pretty adventurous. Robert Goose Scott. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I Would guess, be a great fighter pilot. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a fighter pilot um, correlation there. Anyway, he's Robert Falcon Scott, which is pretty cool. I would also accept Peregrine. That would be mm. neat. Anyway, so Markham sees midshipman Robert Falcon Scott uh, when he's on duty in the Caribbean. And he... At that point, even though he's looking at like the lowest ranking man on a boat in the warmest sea, he kind of files him away. And 15 years later, he's like, yeah, yeah, that guy would be good for the Antarctic. <laughs> um, so just I guess he was a really great sailor. Sailor? Sailor. I think that's sailor. right. Yeah, sailor. Yeah, sailor. <laughs> that's how the British say it. <laughs> anyway, so Markham and Scott and the Associated Royal Geographical Society folks set about assembling a crew, which included Ernest Shackleton, yeah. who would go on to be a very famous Antarctic explorer in his own right. But on this ship had the 
unenviable post of third officer in charge of holds, stores and provisions, and responsible for arranging the entertainments. (laughs) (laughs) He probably went on to form a football club with that kind of prestigious (laughs) department behind him. I mean, I, I cannot imagine the burden of arranging the entertainments on a ship that's going to go to Antarctica for three years. Um, but he did it. Uh, and and I will tell you so much more about that. I'm excited. Uh, they were accompanied by some scientists, of course, including a 22-year-old fresh out of Cambridge who was chosen because Sir Clements thought he, quote, might be made into a man. <laughs> This is starting to add up to a picture. He remembers a young man from 15 years ago he wants to sail the seas with and then he wants to make a man of a young student as well. I think the entire Mm. thrust of the Royal Geographical Society was making men out of men at this time. Yes, I think there was a lot of thrusting (laughs) done. Anyway, so money for the expedition comes partly from the British government, partly from the Royal Society, Royal Geographic Society, and a very wealthy donor, and I loved his name, Llewellyn W. Longstaff. Oh, That's feeding right into your That is the fanfic right itself. (laughs) And then the cool thing was that they had a ton of sponsorships for this voyage. Like, imagine a NASCAR or an F1 car with all the logos plastered on it. That's basically what they're doing. They had Burberry jackets, the chocolate was from Cadbury, the limes were from Evans, all this sort of stuff that the sponsors put in the press to make sure people knew about it. Other jackets and chocolates are available. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can buy them on randomlygeneratedhistory.com. Evans limes. (laughs) Seriously though, Evans, if you're out there still, we would love your sponsorship. (laughs) Oh, and the meat cubes were from Bovril. Um, they had a thousand pounds of tobacco. They had 23 dogs, 45 sheep. How many uh, dogs? 23. But they're huskies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like right. sled, okay. sled like, dogs. Not just like comfort. Not yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. you know, Yorkie poos. Yeah, like, fine. Okay, yeah. fine. Um, so they set out from the Isle of Wight in August 1901, and they head down to Cape Town and then to New Zealand a few months later. And they, they were all from the Isle of Wight? No, they they That's set out sense. from the Isle okay. of Wight. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the Isle of Wight is really dense with explorers. <laughs> just chock-a-block. Um, they reach Antarctica in January 1902, and one of the first things they do, I love this, is they get up into these two big observation balloons. So Commander Scott and Ernest Shackleton each go up in one. They go about 600 feet in the air, and all they see is white. Yeah. (laughs) And so they promptly come back down from the balloons, and it was a pretty big waste of their time. (laughs) Did they use the balloons again? Um, I imagine maybe for fun, okay. just yeah, to yeah. sort of like a jolly day out in to the balloon. To escape the entertainment yeah. they're so sick of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to escape Shackleton's horrible entertainment program. Uh, so now we run into a couple of difficulties, namely that of the entire party of 48 men, none were skilled skiers, oh. and only two of them had any experience with dog sleds, which is not great when you're talking about traversing a completely frozen and snowy and mountainous continent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but you know what they had was spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and coats provided by Burberry. <laughs> but that's a pretty big omission, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, those really are the is. two primary skills for moving around. Yeah. Well, that's why it's the heroic age, not the mechanical age. Because these people <laughs> had this sense of like, I'm going to get to the South Pole. It's not even a thing. I mean, it literally is like the source of stiff upper lipness. Yeah. You know, it's just cracking on and doing it. Oh, yeah. It, you Their know? lips were so stiff. Oh. Can you imagine how stiff they were in the UK? Then take them down to the frozen tundra of the South. Just <laughs> yeah. rigid upper lips. Didn't complain yeah. about anything. 
How's the entertainment? Good. <laughs> well, I'm, I want to come on to the entertainment because this is my favorite part. Shackleton is crushing it as the man in charge of entertainment. They played football on the ice. Mm-hmm maybe big Manchester United supporters. Uh, He organized a lecture series and some amateur Mm. theatricals. And there was a magazine that Shackleton himself edited. Uh, And the magazine was called the South Polar Times. And I'm so going to go find a copy of it in the British Library. There's like 12 copies extant in the world. And Commander Scott loved the magazine and wrote about it in his journal, but acknowledged that and in his words, quote, in the circumstances, broad circulation would not be possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Tough to get a distributor from Antarctica. Uh, it had cartoons and puzzles and sonnets and observations, but it also gives various accounts of the complex problems encountered by Scott, such as the weather, boredom, lack of resources, and isolation. <laughs> That's a very depressing read. Here's a puzzle and my (laughs) diatribe and loneliness. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, what else are you going to talk about? Um, Anyway, just to kind of close out the expedition, the some of the things they found here. So they discovered a colony of emperor penguins. They were one of the first people to ever see an emperor penguin, especially its rookery. So that colonized the area first. The penguins had colonized the area first. So, were they from the Isle of Wight as well? (laughs) What was their blimp like? (laughs) <laughs> the big penguin could blimp. they ski before they arrive <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think penguins are ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Probably pretty accomplished skiers, I would guess. Don't they sort of slide around on well, their Well, yeah, tummies? they're very good at, t- at tummy sledding. <laughs> yeah, there's a specific term for that. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, the penguins were there first, but then, as ever, the humans got the last laugh because they ate the penguins. Oh. Classic human. <laughs> Classic Amazing. human. Yeah. But they had to do it to stave off scurvy. Sure, sure, sure. Whatever so, the reason. Scurvy. You don't need a reason. Surely with all those Evan Limes, there's no scurvy to be had. <laughs> I know. I don't want to impugn the, the character yeah. of Evan's Limes, but it's possible that they weren't good enough. But they didn't know. Uh, scurvy, no one knew the causes of scurvy. Yeah, because like vi- vitamin oh, okay. A hadn't been discovered. C, right. yeah. isn't it? C. C, yes. A yeah. may have been discovered at that point. <laughs> A was, point. A's, A's A was the other there. problem they have because too much A you get from the liver of the huskies. So that was another thing that people in this area used to have a problem with. Really? Used to overdose on it. Well, you know what they got from Shackleton? Vitamin fun. (laughs) Oh. Uh, He also had scurvy, though. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so they they kind of bed down on the on the Ross ice shelf for the winter of 1902, and then in November, which is you know the nicest time in Antarctica, relatively speaking, they set across uh, they set off across the ice. There were problems with the dogs. The men had snow blindness and frostbite and scurvy. But on Christmas, they got double rations, Ooh, including nice. a Christmas more pudding. yeast based <laughs> yeah <laughs> to cover their penguins in. <laughs> Double helping of yeast paste. Um, uh, no, they got a Christmas pudding that Commander Scott had hidden with his socks. Oh, so nice. just a really yeah, he nice. He seems like a good dude. He was okay. Oh, yeah. He he wasn't like a bad guy, but okay. I think he was quite. He and Shackleton had some beef. Oh, paste. <laughs> they hid the beef as well. <laughs> they hid the beef. Um, and on December thirtieth, nineteen o two, they reached their new the new furthest south. They set a new record for furthest south, which was 82 degrees, 17 minutes south. Okay. And remember that south-south is 90 degrees. So pretty close. That's pretty impressive. And just a couple of notes to close out. So a relief ship comes in early 1903 and takes several of the men home, including Shackleton, who was recovering from scurvy. But don't worry, he would go back to Antarctica later. Uh, the kid from Cambridge got a glacier named after him, which is really cool. Nice. They discovered King Edward VII land, oh. which is very strange that they found a land that had been named after the current king. <laughs> I guess king the penguins named England. it that. Yeah, the penguins are big. Those are so emperor. Yeah, yeah they're big edheads. Um, <laughs> at one point, they lost their navigational tables in a storm and had to find their way back based entirely on Scott's rule of thumb navigation. Just go north. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, rule of thumb everyone (laughs) go north um they did exploration and science the discovery got frozen in ice but they got it out by blowing the ice up which is pretty cool cool. and then ultimately they made it back to england in september 1904 so that is just a little bit about the voyage of the discovery um that that, all in that is pretty heroic it's so cool that is very heroic going completely into unknown with nothing but yeast paste and wool liniments (laughs) And then coming back, what, how, how many months, years later? Three, three years. years. Three years yeah, later. Yeah, three years. They're gone. I've been to Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> and ate all the wildlife That's along the way. That's basically as far away as Antarctica. <laughs> the is it possible I visited that ship in Dundee? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think it might be in Dundee. Okay, yeah. I don't know. It was some time ago. Mm. Please write in, and if, if you can see that ship right now, if or you have seen, seen that the ship discovery, in yeah. Dundee, send please a let picture. us know. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we that's cannot that. be bothered to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> that sums up the next segment very well. Um, I'm going to talk about some Russian history, and specifically the events that led up to the assassination of Dmitry Sipyagin. Spoiler alert. Yes. And I will apologize in advance for the pronunciations. Yeah. It is quite tough for a lot of these, but I will try my best. So if you want to correct me, also write in and I will ignore them. <laughs> but just to clarify, you would need to record yourself saying it yes. and then send that recording in. Yes. Do that. Don't just write in with the same word again. We'll, we, we will just, we will just mispronounce right. that word again and, and it will create an endless cycle of mispronunciation. <laughs> exactly. Please, sorry, carry on. Uh, so... First of all, Dmitry Sipyagin, he rose to the director of the Ministry of Interior and he oversaw uh, this very important phase, which was the Russian student strike in 1899. And this overseeing of this would ultimately lead to his downfall. And so we need to set the scene of Russia at this time. And how do we get from students and striking to an assassination? Mm. 
And this is a extremely complicated sort of rise of socialism and all this sort of anti-Tsarist movements. But this actually changed um, kind of funnily enough with Alexander II when he was Tsar. In 1855, he was responsible for a lot of the emancipation of Russian serfs, uh, reforms, uh, reorganizing the judicial system, abolishing corporal punishments and promoting local governments, decentralizing power and removing some of the privileges that nobility had. Uh, That was great. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Until he was nearly assassinated in 1866. (laughs) And then, and I quote, he adopted a somewhat more reactionary stance. Uh, Um, Yeah. I uh, feel like almost being killed would make you pretty reactionary in general. For sure. And like he becomes more and more like afraid of anarchists, Mm. which potentially could have sown the seeds for liberalizing the, you know, you know, the the sort of the populace. And this goes to show hold on to power with an iron grip and never let anything go. Um, but we're really, we at some point we should publish a handbook for... <laughs> How to rule a nation. Competent dictatorship. Yeah, I completely agree. We're really collecting quite a number of important lessons throughout this series. Yeah, don't worry, you'll be able to buy that from the website. Some uh, other interesting facts about him. He was the czar that actually sold Alaska back to Russia or uh, Alaska to America. Ah, uh, Seward's folly. Yes, exactly. And um, he was quite a pacifist in his international politicking. He distanced himself from the rambunctious French that were getting a bit fighty. Mm. And he cozied up the Germans and Austrians and formed a cool rock band called the League of the Three Emperors. Ooh, that's such a cool cool rock band. That is a really good band. Did he? Did he really? No, not actual rock band. Just like a, like a, a, like a, I guess a commune of 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 leaders that would talk about things oh. that they were anti-French. Yeah, it was Otto von Bismarck on the harpsichord. And- <laughs> um, his deep fear of <laughs> harpsichord, <laughs> underrated music instrument in the rock world. But what would you pair? You'd pair that with like what with like a bassoon? Yeah. Oh, definitely a Maracas. bassoon. Yeah, you need some sort of percussion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, he, his his deep fear of revolt, sort of culminated in when he stamped this stamped down this Polish uprising that was happening and uh, he got rid of sort of Polish direct rule and took that into Russia central as part of Russia at the time and it's one of the key sources of that sort of Russian Poland sort of uh, sort of friction to this day dates back to this time and he was kept on trying to make more reforms to judiciary and like rule stamping out anarchists from potentially assassinating people in power uh, and then he was uh, assassinated. So, that, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah. this is Alexander II. So, this sets the scene, though, for this sort of student uprising and the rebellion. Um, emancipated, socially mobile, and socialist educated population now in these universities that were no longer like elitist per se. And they formed student bodies. Uh, as you do, they had wrecks and socks, and they, like, you know, they. Uh, created one called the Friendly Society, okay. which was about welcoming students. There's a drinking club as well as like talking about student sort of politics and things like that. Um, and student matters. They elected a president and they demanded audience with, you know, the rectors or whatever inside the university. Um, but that was actually illegal. You weren't allowed to do this by the laws set for this anti-sedition laws that Alexander II did. They um, had to go kind of underground, a bit more clandestine. So then th- they did what students did. They just drank and they had marches to the streets. And these, <laughs> these dr- one of those things resonates <laughs> with me. You never marched? Oh my God, I love the marches. Yeah. But these were like, you know, ostensibly non-political marches, but they got more rowdy and more violent mm. as like just people drinking on the streets often do, brawling in the streets. And then this, the, the marches were banned and the student bodies rebelled against that, protested and they blockaded the police. And, you know, they got a bit bloody after a while because they, you know, started throwing snowballs at the police and the police escalated to 
uh, whipping students to sort of bloody shambles and cause a lot of, uh, you know, discontent amongst the student populace. So mixed amongst the students was all the sort of varying sort of political flavor of sort of socialism and left-wing politics and importantly a political movement called Nardonics, N-A-R-D-O-N-I-K-S, which were, you know, directly... Not sardonic, nardonics. Um, yeah. Dryness is a political movement. Dryness is a political movement, which you would be the chief uh, principal officer chief of wit. Wit. Chief, <laughs> chief, chief wit and whip. But these were blatantly anti sarists and like pretty much verboten. Okay. Totally and uh, they were kind of like sort of a flavor of socialists. Uh, they believe in decentralizing of power. Um, and they were much more hostile towards the state, but they were kind of hard to separate from the students themselves that were just like there to drink and fight. Um, versus the, you know, anti-capitalists Nardonics. So this violence and brewing discontent started fermenting into student strikes, more arrests, escalations of frictions. And then eventually sort of this culminated when it was decided that the Minister of the Interior was able to punish students by conscripting them into the army. Oh, And sending God. them to Serbia or, or, or not Serbia, sorry, um, Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> Siberia, etc. Oh. I, re- I can't read my own notes. Can I just say, conscripting me into the army would end up being a punishment on the country that did it. Because <laughs> I would not be a good soldier. Yeah, so like the people were effectively being exiled um, for uh, these strikes. Hang on, so they'd conscript you into the army and send you to Siberia? Yes. So as in like, you're going to the Siberian... Institute for Army Reform or whatever it is, like you, oh, know, this, this, you know, like just a nominally like like military service, but it's actually like you know you, you're being yeah. taken out of the city. Just go and be here now, just for yeah. like being rowdy and sort of well, I yeah, guess for and, being anti-Czar. And there was also like you know this is a mixture of political ideology that was a vaguely anti anti-Czarist and anti-capitalist and that okay. kind of stuff. So this stoked the fires of intrigue and plot further, and this is where we come into our next protagonist, which is Stefan Valerianovich Balmashov. Oh, who wow. now steps into the history books. He was actually from a Nardonic family. Oh. Uh, Can we call him Nar- Narod- Narodnik, I think is the pron- pronunciation. Narodnik, yeah, sorry. His parents were actually in exile when he was in university and he spent three months in prison for protesting and then he was exiled. He finally made his way back to Kharkiv. Um, he's banned from anything university but came into contact with various like brewing political movements. Like, you know, there's an overlap of Marxist, populist, social democrats and there's quite free-flowing members between each sharing ideology and, and, and you know, all loosely aligned but yeah. political differences at this stage they hadn't sort of struck into their own what's so there's like a loose coalition of anti-Tsar yes. people okay. yeah exactly so he finally gets into uni Stefan finally gets in and there's a huge crackdown now on students with lots being deported and um, him and several of the students blame the Minister of Interior for actually trying to get a grip of the situation conscripting all these students Dimitri was blamed and then he was there for the forming of the Socialist Revolutionary Party, which was a much more cohered, like they had a stated aim of not just drinking and talking about the Tsar and what a bad mm. person they were, but like actively want to do something about it. And they had a military wing, which was called the Battle Organization, whose main mission was the assassination of government officials. Oh, and, wow. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So like they were quite organized and extremely like anti, anti, anti-establishment. Um, and their top list, enemy number one, uh, Minister of the Interior, Dmitry. So Balmashov volunteered as tribute and he went to the palace where Dmitri was going to be, which is the Marinsky Palace. And he dressed up as one of the palace attendants and uh, waited for him there, did a lap around the block there and came back and shot him several times where Dmitri then, then died later oh, on. Yep. And he was arrested. And when questioned, he only answered with the words, the method of combating a terrorist seems to me inhumane and cruel, but is inevitable with the current regime. Mm. 
And they could get nothing more from him. He didn't elaborate any further, didn't say who he was working with, etc. It's not that clever, is it? Like a, It's not very pithy. It's no, not it's super not pithy. pithy. I think well, the... he wasn't a sardonic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... He chose his group. Yeah. But uh, he was found guilty of, of, of assassination and murder. And, and, and... Yeah. But lots well, of people he did, did it. So... Yeah, he, yeah, well, he did, he did do it. But there was lots of interesting <laughs> calls for pardon because they thought this might flame more if they, if mm, they made a martyr yeah. of this guy or they punished him too much they, they, they asked for a pardon but they were not heeded and he was hanged <coughs> uh, yes yep. in May 1902 troubles didn't end there with the Russians uh, in this time of history it didn't just stop there the czars are still ruling there that didn't happen so from there the subsequent person that took over was who was called oh boy here we go Vacheslav Konstantinovich von Plave can we can we maybe choose a shortened version of that Va- Barry 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 Barry's was good. yeah he was assassinated 2 years later um, <laughs> god and because there was a, there's a massive anti-jewish sentiment and violence happening in 1903 and the socialist revolutionary comeback group another sort of socialist sort of uh, political military wing um threw a bomb into his carriage and assassinated him oh god wait hang on he took over from he took over the assassin. From, from no he took over from dimitri oh he's the minister of his name interior, interior. Okay, okay. and he barry's himself, in he's in a carriage barry's bomb in. comes in through the window and boom barry's dead barry's dead and it's actually really fascinating because like for the first time in this history podcast there's actually pictures from this era yeah and there's pictures of the subsequent aftermath of this assassination where you can see the exploded carriage you can see oh, wow. onlookers there's even video mm. footage of a tram going past and wow yeah it's 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 you know really brings it home and you can even see his top hat in the road and things like that it's like you know it's like poignant media almost close to propaganda of like you, you know like we want to make sure that this is this is known about manchester celtics top hat yeah manchester um and uh this is one of the sort of highlights slash lowlights of russian history around this time and one of the inflection points of student strikes and protests and this assassination this sequence of assassinations that led to the bubbling socialist movements of russia and, and then on to the 1907 coup and subsequently the 1917 revolution the rise of the bolsheviks and then the, the you know the very bloody civil war yeah. um just altogether a very dark era in russian history um and mm. and russian history is absolutely fascinating nothing about this before before now um but it is definitely a bit grim um so i do apologize <laughs> <laughs> you succeeded <laughs> and there we go that's uh russian history 1902 grim grim <laughs> grim grim yep um but you know as you said a lead into some really kind of interesting stuff yeah, that so. if the rng ever blesses us with the year 1917 i imagine we'll have a real hoot nanny oh boy trust me we have no control of the Iraq. No. <laughs> no oh, I know. Don't. It is an it is an omniscient and uh, capricious master. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> it's frowned upon to even speculate upon the number that it might put out. <laughs> I'll go do the. I'll go do my absolutions. And, <laughs> yeah, and... exactly. Pray to the good number generator. Yeah. Well, cool. there you have it. Everything you need to know about 1902. So before we go on, I just want to say a quick thank you. Um, there's been some uh, good uh, activity signing up for membership to the Randomly Generated History Club. Where we've got some board members. So thank you very much for your support. And thank you all for listening. It's, uh, really, uh, it's really quite nice to know that people are listening to this and enjoying this. So if you do like this, please just tell your friends. We, we'd love to welcome them to the club. Yeah, I think that's the main thing people could do if you wanted to support us and you didn't want to become a member or a board member, which is a bit weird. But if you, <laughs> if you wanted to do something else, then you, you probably 
you've probably got a friend somewhere. You probably got. <laughs> you, you, you've look, probably got a friend. Look yeah. deep into your heart and see if there's a person in the world who doesn't dislike you. Mm. And that person could enjoy listening to the podcast as well. So if you do have a friend. Do try to tell that friend yes. about the podcast, and that could be something you could do. And if you don't have a friend, you can buy our friendship <laughs> <laughs> by signing up for membership. Yeah, you can buy our friendship and our best friendship. Yes. There are two tiers are of two friendship tiers. available. And I will send you daily affirmations. <laughs> oh, and the other thing is you could leave a review and a five-star thing. Yeah, that'd be great. Find that'd us be that great. Kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so any one of those things would be great. Yeah, I agree. Well, anyway, moving on. Thanks for joining us once again. Um, I think that's everything you ever need to know about 1902. As always, any questions, comments, find us on Twitter, visit our website, randomlygeneratedhistory.com. You can message us directly. That's right. And that means that it's time to choose our next year. So, Will, can you please boot up the random number generator? Yes, but I don't like that tone. I'm sorry, that was so <laughs> flippant. And I've already yeah, yeah, yeah. pissed it off once by, by suggesting this a year for it minus to choose. It's going to be minus 999 now. <laughs> <laughs> you will displease the generator. Uh, so as a reminder, we've set the random number generator, which I respect, <laughs> to choose a year between 1000 BCE and 2000 CE. And our next year is... 1245. Huh. Ooh, that's our first 13th century year, is it? Yeah, I believe. It is. I, 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 by default, I know nothing about this year. I should not even <laughs> say that anymore. No one's surprised that I know nothing about years. I think you should just say Shakespeare every time until we get... <laughs> no, 1245, I'm going to guess what happened. Uh, crusade territory. Yeah, I think we're still like in the later Crusades. Chaucer's Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> That's a different rock band composed of three different emperors. Well, there you are. 1245. See you next time. Toodle pip. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 